Well, the passage we're looking at this morning is often called the Beatitudes, which, uh, if you're interested, is from the Latin word for blessed. And the word blessed used to be one of those religious words that we didn't really use in, in normal life, did it? Uh, until uh, Instagram hashtags came along and it became a way for insufferably self-satisfied people uh, to, uh, when posting an image that portrays their life as perfect and oh, so much better than yours, to, uh, uh, to, to show that they are in fact rather smug by writing blessed, uh, hashtag blessed underneath their photo. Uh, now that uh, hashtag contains a hyperlink, so if you click on it, you can tour all the other people who want you to know how very blessed they are. This is my uh, Father's Day present uh, from, uh, from my girls. It, uh, for the, <laughs> covered up the microphone now, haven't I? But here we go. It says, uh, father of girls, hashtag outnumbered, hashtag blessed. Um, I, uh, I don't think the hashtag blessed tag is there to be smug. It was a present, after all. Um, but to preempt the question that I often get, you know, people find out that I have six children and they're all daughters. And they say, oh, you know, were you hoping for a few sons in that? I said, well, no, I'm, I'm proud of all my, my children. And they said, really? Wouldn't you have rather have a boy? No, I'm, I'm proud of, of all my girls. And they say, well, even hope. And I say, yes, even hope. I did ask her permission before telling that joke. But uh, look, my T-shirt is not connected to the internet. These aren't real hyperlinks. Uh, but uh, uh, if... If it were, you could tap on hashtag blessed and see who believes that they are particularly blessed and, uh, and why. And on Friday, I typed that into Facebook. I'm not on Instagram because I'm not a girl who likes to take photos of my, my bum in yoga pants. Uh, and some of you are boys and saying, no, no, it's not just for girls taking photos of their bum. I'm on it too. And we know why you're on it. You probably shouldn't be. Uh, but I typed it into Facebook, and here are some of the top results. Blessed are those who have their family all together for their sister's wedding. Blessed are the mothers who wear matching t-shirts with their daughters. Blessed are the pet owners whose dog is doing something particularly cute. Uh, blessed is Renee, for she is on a boating holiday in Cape Coral. Blessed is Gilbert from California because he's finally bought himself a Mustang. Blessed is Joe, for he is smoking hickory sausages for his dinner. So blessed in these contexts means someone who is happy in the moment, doesn't it? Things are going well, they're having fun, uh, so they are blessed. And of course, I'm being rather snarky, and I'm going to stop it now, uh, because I'm delighted that these people are all enjoying themselves, and I'm genuinely pleased that they can share that joy with the world. But as we read in this passage, we see that Jesus must be using a different definition of the word blessed. So have a look at verses 3 and 4, please. Blessed are the poor in spirits. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed here translates the word the Greek word for fortunate. Jesus is taking our attention away from our immediate earthly circumstances 
and fixing it instead on who we are before God. Notice the context, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. In verse 419, Jesus had, sorry, in chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus had recruited the disciples with the words, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And here they are at the end of chapter 4, with more success at that than they could have possibly dreamed. Uh, Verse 23, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. That's a vast area, and people are hiking this area to hear Jesus preach and to see the miracles and to be a recipient of these miracles of of healing. People, they're coming with all kinds of problems, and Jesus healed all of them. It's not that he said, okay, well, look, we'll pray for you and we'll, we'll hope for the best. No, 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 no. They are all healed there and then with power. He's not trying. All the doctors in the area must have, you know, they must have been struggling to put food on the table uh, because Jesus was healing all of them. It was a foretaste of heaven, like a little bubble of, of heaven. Wherever he was going, these problems disappeared. And so the disciples' new career in fishing for people, drawing people to Jesus, is fantastically successful. They'd be rather odd men, wouldn't they, if uh, they weren't elated about this? You know, they must have been high-fiving each other and, uh, you know, so chuffed. You know, all these people coming, you know, loads of them, and they're so delighted to follow Jesus. And uh, they must have been saying, oh, wow, I had no idea that being a disciple would be this easy. We're amazing at this. It's going really well, isn't it? And seeing the crowds, Jesus tells them, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirits, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first thing, the first uh, point that I have for us is uh, respond to your success in the light of the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit here doesn't mean people who are miserable. It means people who recognize that before God, we are spiritually bankrupt. We can never think, God's jolly lucky to have me, isn't he? Uh, Everything we have, everything that we are, is a gift from God. He has granted that gift to us for a limited time. And we will be accountable to him for how we have used the health, the talents, and the resources that he has put in our hands. And if, like the disciples, we can look at great success that we've had, we've got to remember that everything that we achieve that is genuinely good is done in his strength by the power of his spirits. 
To become a Christian is to have your sins forgiven at great expense to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is freely given to us. And so we are debtors to God's mercy and grace. Then as we start to serve him, actually we, we have to depend on more of his grace in order to achieve that. Uh, but also, as we serve him, we're still sinners. And so we're still reliant on his mercy and grace and forgiveness as we sin. So we never get to the point where, actually, we break even. <laughs> like, I'm so grateful for, uh, for your grace to me, God, and, and, and now I've returned it back to you with interest, and you know, we're, we're all square now. No, of course not. We f- fall more and more joyfully further into debt, uh, year by year, we, we look at all his lavish grace to us and we say, do you know what, I, I'm more the recipient of his grace now than when I started. And it is glorious. He is my loving father and I owe everything to him. And he loves me and I love him. We are more poor at the end in ourselves, even as we enjoy his lavish riches. And so Jesus saw the crowd and warns them, it's not blessed to those who are successful in their careers or successful in their service for God, but blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. King Solomon was faithful early on while his kingdom hung in the balance. Later, when God gave him tremendous success, he became proud, didn't he? And turned away from God with disastrous results. Being poor in spirit means responding humbly to God's blessings. You will never come to Jesus for forgiveness and transformation unless you first recognise your poverty before God. We've got to realise, haven't we, as we come before God, there is nothing that we have that he needs. You know, what can we possibly do for him or give him, they just, oh, I've been needing one of them. He created the universe through talking. What, what favour can you do? What, what help can you give him? No, no, no. He, we help him in much the same way as my three-year-old helps her Grammy bake cakes. Her Grammy can make far better cakes than she can. And, she make, and without her help, she makes far less mess and is all far more hygienic. Uh, no, but she helps for her benefit, not for Grammys. We help God. We serve God, not because he needs it. It's for our benefits. Blessed are those who recognise it. Don't take pride in your success. Worship him for it. Thank him for everything that he gives us. Take delight that the kingdom of heaven is forever. And it is yours if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word translated as those who mourn is frequently used in the Old Testament for people whose worldly circumstances are difficult because of their loyalty to God. Okay, Is their life made harder because they refuse to pay a bribe? Well, they are blessed. Are they uh, uh, did... Friends ditch you when you became a Christian? Did your family take the mickey out of you? Uh, Would it be much easier for you at work if you 
disobey God. You know, you said, oh, no, the boss isn't in today. He can't speak to you as you pick up the phone for him when he's standing six feet away from you. Would obedience cause you grief in some way? Well, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The passive tense that he uses here for they will be comforted is a Jewish idiom, which means that God is the one who will do the comforting. Whatever you suffer for God is so unworthy to compare with the comforts that he will lavish on you that you are truly blessed. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek means to humbly rely on God. Meekness is very different from uh, to weakness or being a doormat. And this was going to be my children's talk, which I didn't, I failed to notice in my notes and moved over so, so uh, swiftly. Uh, when David stepped up to fight Goliath, do you remember the story? It wasn't self-confidence that motivated him. It wasn't the great skill he expected to have that he, that, uh, he would conquer Goliath. Uh, it was meekness. Uh, do you remember what he said? You know, uh, you know he, said, um, he said to Goliath, I, I come against you not with uh, sword or spear, uh, but in the power of the Lord. Uh, I'm, I'm butchering that quotation, but I don't have it in front of me at the moment. You remember what he said? Uh, Goliath looked at him, laughed. You know, here's this little boy coming at me with a stick and a bag of pebbles. How, you know, how, what, how insulting. And then David meekly, uh, slaughtered the giant and meekly chopped his head off and meekly held it up for everyone to see. His meekness was all about trusting in the Lord, not in his own strength. Being meek is not about what you do, but about why you do it. So do you know all these children's TV programs that, you know, that you get these cartoons and the moral of the story is always, you know, you've got you to look inside yourself and find the power that's within you already and, you know, believe in yourself, you can do it. When you know, That's a terrible thing sometimes to teach good children, isn't it? You know, sometimes they really can't and they need to ask for help. Uh, but, but meekness is the exact opposite of that. It's trusting in the Lord. Meekness is... Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We trust God to set the goals we, and we rely on his power to reach them. That's meekness. And to you, the meek, the earth, the land is promised. This pictures us, you know, it says... Uh, uh, will inherit the land. It pictures us as Israelites in the wilderness, looking forward to the promised land. Delight uh, in your, your coming inheritance. The promise is not that one day God will sweep us all off into heaven and the earth will be destroyed. It's that one day the wicked will be removed. Uh, heaven will come to earth. The earth will be renewed. Death will be no more. And we will enjoy God's glorified creation with him forever. This world matters. God makes it. He takes delight in it. He loved it. 
and the wicked who put pressure on you, put evil peer pressure on you, that make things awkward to you. This world isn't theirs. You're not in alien territory as you go to work on Monday morning. You're not, uh, you know, you're not doing something weird or awkward as you give thanks for your meal at a restaurant, as you uh, pray to God, as you read your Bible. No, this is your father's world. They're the ones who are in rebellion to God in it. And very soon they will be removed. You get on with serving your father in the world that he, he has given you. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I don't know what you have planned for the rest of today, but I'm sure at some point, unless you're on some weird 5-2 diet or something, you are going to eat. You put, and I'm certain you're going to drink. Please, if, you, if that's not in your plan, please do drink. If you go a couple of days without drinking, uh, water will be pretty much all you can think about. And uh, if you take a little bit longer without drinking, you will pretty soon die. Uh, if you've uh, been two or three days without drinking anything, you would be willing to give anything for a bottle of water. Once you've got food and drink and you've had enough of that, you might choose to do any number of things. But until you've got it, that will be all you can think of. And there is nothing else you can imagine doing. Food and drink are not optional extras. Blessed is everyone who takes that attitude to being right with God. It's not an optional extra. It's not something that uh, you might add as long as it doesn't conflict with your relationships or career plans. Righteousness is what your eternal survival depends on. If you recognise that, Jesus says, you will receive it. God will give you the righteousness of Christ and then, your work, uh, and then will work on your character through the Holy Spirit to make you more like, make your character more like his. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown, merciful, uh, shown mercy. Sometimes you will be entrusted with the resources that God will use to bless others. The opportunity to forgive someone, the opportunity to supply their financial or emotional needs when you have no obligation to do so. And we are commanded to show mercy, to show kindness to people who don't deserve it. And we are blessed when we do it, because God is far kinder to us than anything we could ever hope to deserve. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity here is not about never having done anything wrong, nor is it primarily about having a, 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 a pure sexual history or anything like that. It is the phrase used in the Bible for an undivided loyalty to God. So in a war, there may be lots of people who don't particularly mind which side comes out on top. They just want to be on the right side of them. So uh, uh, as the battle lines move back and forth, they, they'll just try to keep their head down, get on with looking after their family, getting on with uh, providing, and just trying not to get into trouble. The pure in heart are those who are unwaveringly loyal to the true king. The pure in heart here are those who are unwaveringly loyal to God, regardless of what is going on around you. 
because it can be intimidating, can't it? Uh, if someone is putting pressure on you to deny God's words or to cave into peer pressure, well, as you feel and resist that pressure, remember how you are, you are blessed. You will see God himself and he will see you as the one who has been loyal to him. And whatever fool has been putting pressure on you or is uh, um, uh, behaving badly, they will be gone. Uh, the, the pressure that they are applying will seem as that that a gnat applies once you compare it with the reality of being face to face with God. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, children of God. Do you remember Jesus' first words to his disciples when he conquered sin at the cross and then rose from the dead? Not, hey, why did all you, you lot run away? But peace. All the pain and effort to achieve peace in himself between God and humanity. And Jesus declared that good news to them. This peace will spread to all nations through the preaching of God's word. Isaiah chapter 2 prophesies uh, the nations saying, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. This peace, this shalom between God and humanity, between us and the planet and between all of us, is what God is working out through the gospel. And when you assist in this great glorious project, then you are being just like him. So in ancient times, uh, children, children were very much like their parents. Not only did they live together, did they share genetic information, uh, but uh, children were primarily educated at home and would be a apprenticed in whatever was the family business. So if your dad's a baker, we'd expect you to be an expert with dough and baking. Um, when you work for true peace, you are being about your father's business and you'll display his character to the world. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you may have noticed a general trend as we go through the Beatitudes. It starts in a context of huge success warning against losing our humility in the kingdom of heaven. And the expected context seems to slowly shift until we are here at the end. Jesus is warning us as if we're in a context of persecution, not to lose our joy in the kingdom of heaven. So here's the second point. Look, respond to your suffering in, in light of the kingdom. Uh, can I recommend to you um, getting the Open Doors Prayer Diary? I'll send it for 
uh, for free and it uh, has something to pray uh, for every, uh, every day of the year and a, a little magazine. And this tells the story of a, a, a recent uh, convert in, uh, in India, a lady called Meher, uh, who uh, was uh, insulted and rejected by uh, people in her village. Despite being insulted and rejected by her community, uh, Meher kept praying for them. As she explains, their words hurt momentarily, but my joy in Christ overpowered all the opposition. I believed and prayed that they would experience Jesus the same way we did. But that didn't happen. Instead, when Miha's mother and sister were on their way home from a prayer meeting, they were stopped by a group of angry neighbours. This time, the angry comments escalated into physical violence. The mob began beating Meher's mother and sister. Meher uh, ran to rescue them, but the crowd attacked her too. The attackers started to beat me mercilessly and tried to strangle me with a cloth, she says, with tears in her eyes as she remembers the traumatic events. I fell unconscious and I was wounded and bleeding and suffered several injuries across my body. A bystander managed to stop the persecutors and phoned an ambulance. Miha was taken to, to the hospital. I was in shock after the incident, Miha shares. I was not aware of my surroundings. I was in constant fear that the attackers would look for us again and experienced anxiety and panic attacks. Because of her stay in hospital, Miha lost her job. She was still being threatened and abused by her attackers even during her recovery. Miha felt desperate. What does Jesus call Miha and her family? And people like them. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice that the reason they're blessed is the same as those who are experiencing great success in verse 3. The same reason they're blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Whether you're experiencing great success or being persecuted and beaten up, actually the reason, the reason you are blessed dwarfs all our circumstances, makes them as if they were one. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. All those who have Jesus as their king. So, according to Jesus, how should uh, Miha and her family respond to all this according to today's passage? Well, with worship and joy. Sounds hard to say, doesn't it? To, with, by singing praises to the Lord and thanking him for his goodness. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. It's not that they can be happy about the evil that has been done to them, but because it is within the context of who they are before God and what their future holds, they can. Now, does that sound silly to you? Does that require us to have a kind of unhealthy detachment from reality? 
Uh, does that do violence to our psychology as we live in some kind of delusional pretend words, worlds? Well, no. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Maybe you're going through something very tough at the moment. Nothing here denies the very real pain that you're going through. But it does put it in a much greater context, doesn't it? Like as if you're an orphan from a war-torn country and you've been adopted into a loving, wealthy family in a peaceful country. And you might be sat on the plane, cramped and uncomfortable, and you're not allowed to run around and kick your football on the plane like you want to. And uh, you might be too young to really understand. Uh, you, you know, you might be tempted to throw a tantrum. You might, you know, you could let all that f- make you feel miserable. Or you could look beyond your temporary circumstances. Maybe your new adopted mum has come to bring you home and you could let her show you photos of your bedroom, of your new adoptive brothers and sisters, of your new garden, of the city where you'll live. And you could think, look beyond your lack of legroom and the rubbish in-flight movie and this packaged food that you're being, uh, you're being served and you could look at the, the swing in the garden and think about the love that you're receiving from this adoptive family. And, and if there on the plane, <laughs> cramped and unable to run about, you start rejoicing... <laughs> Is that child being unrealistic? Are they, are they in denial? Are they being delusional? No, of course not. They've thought about their true context, looking beyond their personal immediate circumstances. And they're not becoming divorced from reality. They're coming great, more greatly in tune with it, aren't they? But my friends, if, if you're not a believer here today, if you have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus as your king, If you're looking at the Christian life and thinking, oh, that's, that's too hard, I could never keep it up. Are you kidding me? Think about the home that you're being offered, the love that has been poured out for you. Don't be crazy. Come to him, receive this love from your adopted brother and father. Third thing, respond to your sovereign in the light of the kingdom. So there are thousands of people coming gathering around the disciples and Jesus, hiking many miles to meet Jesus. Oh, I should, I should have just read the, the end of Miha's story here. Uh, because she responded to this in the same way. Uh, um, let me read this. Uh, her mother and sister reminded her of the hope she has in Christ. They pointed out to her Psalm 23. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. I was devastated and crushed, unable to understand all that was happening, says Miha. But when my sister or mother prayed with me, I was revitalized and strengthened by the word of God uh, that he protects and comforts me. She's growing and being stronger and uh, with her church is able to praise God because hers is the kingdom of heaven. And thirdly, respond to your sovereign So all these people, they're hiking to Jesus, they're hearing the message. Uh, Did you notice what Jesus' message is? He was 
at the end of chapter 4, he was proclaiming the good news of his kingdom. Now, you can't have a kingdom without a king, can you? It's the definition. Uh, And they are declaring the reign of God's long-promised Messiah, the King of Heaven, who will rule all nations with justice, according to the prophecies. In the first half of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is quite coy about stating explicitly that he is that king that they were waiting for. But I don't think it should be a surprise to anyone here to know that it, it is Jesus. Jesus is God's king. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And he is no hypocrite. All the characteristics that we aspire to, but don't get quite right as, uh, as Christians, are gloriously perfect in Jesus. So maybe you're an unbeliever who's been brought along here. And look, just, just to make it clear, as I'm spelling out what, uh, how we are to view ourselves as children in Christ's kingdom, uh, we're not saying that we are exemplars of that at the moment. But Jesus is. We are sinners, but our king is the utterly humble and approachable one who, being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was the one who deserves to be adored by all the angels forever and will be, and yet was not too snobby to go to a cross to serve us. Why? Well, for the joy set before him, the joy of saving us and bringing us into the shalom of his kingdom. He suffered persecution, insults, and false accusations. He knew tremendous success and stayed humble. He has known tremendous suffering and clung to his joy. Meekly, he trusted his father And like David, he faced single combats on behalf of his people against nothing so easy as a giant this time. He conquered death itself and the power of the devil to accuse us by paying the just punishment for the sin of his entire kingdom and anyone who would join it. He is open to refugees of all types. His kingdom, the doors are wide open and all may come in and bring all our problems and all our sin, he is, he is equal to all of it. He is the altogether righteous one who resisted temptation through the, as he sweat blood under the strain. He overflows with mercy and lives to make peace between you and God, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, no matter what you deserve. Look at the cross. God says that's enough. That's enough for your sin. His son has claimed responsibility for it, for anyone who will come and take him as their king. He calls you into his kingdom. And what a privilege to have him as our king. To have him free us from the sin and chaos that we're part of and to build his kingdom with him. We're, we're choosing a new prime minister at the moment. Well, we're not, but other people are choosing a, 
a new prime minister for us at the moment. From time to time, we get the opportunity to have a say, don't we, at the ballot box. And sometimes, you, <laughs> I heard somebody joke, you know, uh, you know he, people in America put uh, bumper stickers, don't they, saying who, that they're, who, they're, who they're supporting in the next election. And uh, someone was doing a, a lively trade in sackcloth and ashes for 2020 or whatever it was. <laughs> it was... Uh, sometimes we look at the choice of candidates on offer and we think, well, none of the above. Uh, how we wish for someone who has had godly policies and a godly character. Well, the true eternal king is Christ. The true eternal king who commands us to come and be a part of and to build his kingdom is utterly glorious. He utterly deserves us to come to him and bow the knee. He commands us to do what is good and right and what makes us noble and makes the world better. He's the one who receives you and gives you a home in this world and the next and makes you like his father, dresses you in glory and joy. Receive him. No one who does, has anything to fear for long. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this King. And Heavenly Father, may we come to him and rejoice in serving him. Lord, whatever this week has uh, to, to challenge us with, Lord, we pray that we would go into it, having laid the foundation now of worshipping him, uh, worshipping you, uh, meditating on all the love you've poured out into our lives, meditating on all the hope that we have to rejoice in. And Lord, we pray that as we pour the concrete, concrete for that foundation now, that we would build on that with something that is pure and lovely, of gold, silver and precious stones as we serve you. Lord, we pray that whoever is here today and has, does not have Jesus as their king would be desperately jealous to have him, would see our utter poverty without him, and would see that he came to save sinners. That's all any of us are, and would come to you in repentance and faith, in mourning for our sin, but delighting in the the comfort and the joy and the kingdom of heaven that Christ has prepared for us. For Jesus' name's sake, amen.